What's up, everybody? This is Aaron Reese with the Kansas City Star, one of the Mizzou beat writers. I'm here with my partner, another Mizzou beat writer, Alex Schiffer. Hello. Uh, yeah, uh, so here we are. Um, anyway, we're here to uh, just to uh, to talk out the Mizzou basketball season, which ended. Uh, we're both kind of tired and don't know what to do with all of our free time now. Because um, football, you know, spring football is not a, a full-time thing. And, and, and I feel like I've just been living in Michael Porter Mania for forever, and now that's... Uh, now it's over. So, what's up? Not much. As you said, kind of catching up on sleep. I've slept in yeah. a lot the past few days, just after the, the bear that the weekend yeah. was, really. I know. I slept, like, 10 hours yesterday. It was awesome. Um, but that was because I, I had slept, like, just on planes exclusively for the past couple days, because I went to California to cover the women's tournament, and then they lost in a day, which I wasn't expecting, so I flew back uh, the next day rather than on Tuesday, which is what I was... Um, figured it was going to happen. I was kind of hoping for it. I was hoping I'd get that extra time in California. But anyway, um, we'll just, we'll get this podcast, we're just going to kind of uh, talk through uh, the Mizzou basketball season because um, it was, uh, if nothing else, it was quite unique. Uh, it, it, like I was thinking about this. I mean, it really was like no other season in in history in a way because you never had a player like Adam, like a player like Michael Porter at the end. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess we'll start there, the, the NCAA tournament game. I... I figured they would lose. I, I, Did you though? Because you were kind of back and forth. I, I guess. Last I, I guess. I, I, yeah. I guess. You I don't were know. Pretty back and forth but, on it. Yeah, that's true. But I think we all were. But I guess I wouldn't say I was surprised by the way it happened. No, I guess not. You know, after watching Florida State take out Xavier yesterday, I think I appreciated Florida State more as a team than I did going into Friday because. I kind of looked at Florida State on Friday as well. They underachieved when they had these high NBA draft picks like Jonathan Isaac and guys like that. Dwayne Bacon's the other one I'm thinking of. And I saw them take out Xavier, and I was like, okay, I guess I didn't give them the credit that they deserve because they kind of slipped into the tournament, limped in a bit like Missouri. I think they were more inconsistent than Missouri in the regular season. And then you watch them take out a number one seed like Xavier, and I was like, okay, I guess I guess we slept on them a little more than I expected. But Missouri had no depth; they had to avoid foul trouble. Neither of those, you know, neither of those things did them any favors. And I thought in the second half, when they got it to six, they were going to tie it or take the lead briefly, and then that lose the game. Yeah, yeah. But they they made it a little more interesting than I thought they would. I guess it in the second half is the best. Best way to put it. Yeah, I think um, I think that like you didn't mention that Florida State was even more inconsistent than Mizzou, but I think the difference in terms of Vahe or Collins, the star who was working with us there, pointed out was like this Mizzou team that played in that game was literally different than any other Mizzou team that we saw all year because you still are adding Michael Porter, and then you're also missing Jordan Barnett, who for as inconsistent he's maybe has been all season, he didn't miss a single game prior to that one. And he was the second best defender. He was their one of the most reliable scorers, at least when he was playing. I mean, like he he had the chance to have big games and they, they needed someone else in that game. It was clear. I mean, Mike was the offense had no flow again. I think I think that was what was kinda of surprising to me was not that it still looked like it lacked flow, like rhythm, but that they spent the whole week talking about how it was gonna be better than that Georgia game and he'd figured stuff out and then he clearly had it. It, just, it clearly looked no different than it had like a few days before. I agree completely. My only takeaway that was an improvement from Georgia, and I, I don't even know if you call it an improvement, in the Georgia game, it was Jonte and Mike were the only ones scoring. Cassius and Barnett were invisible. Right. And in Florida State, it was Mike and Cassius were scoring. 
Jonte was invisible, and obviously yeah. Barnett, we don't even know if he right, was in the building. Right. And, and I think that that was it, is that Mike is the only constant in those two. I, I did think he looked better against Florida State than he did against Georgia. You know, he kind of had some aggressive charges to the rim. Yeah, he had those coast-to-coast plays that were Yeah, really nice. he had a few, yeah. like, Euro steps to kind of get yeah. around the defender. But really, he was exhausted, and he still couldn't take over a game the way we knew he needed to for them to win or go on any kind of run. And, and yeah, the Jordan Barnett absence really killed him. I, again, I don't know if they beat Florida State with Jordan Barnett, but I definitely think it's a much closer game. And with him than without, with him yeah. without him for sure. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think um, something that I thought like should be said is you know I I even felt this way for a long time. Michael Porter is like, is he really care or is he just doing this because? Like for the attention, for, for the attention, or because yeah. his so own his own NBA him. draft stock and whatever. And I think it's weird. I, I've kind of like I feel very solid now in saying this at the, at the end. After as you can kind of put everything in perspective, is that I don't think he was just like toying with a fan base, and I don't think he just did it to try to show he was back or improve his draft stock. Because one, I don't think that happened. But two, but like I mean, I think agreed. Um, I think the best way to look at this is that sure, did he maybe think that. Actually, I don't even know if I think he thought he was going to help his draft stop or prove he wasn't soft or something. Because I think he – it's not like he didn't know. I mean, and it's not like everyone else probably couldn't see that he clearly wasn't himself. I'm sure the same the same way he looked in practice is how he looked in the games, you know, not able to dunk the ball in, like, real competition and, and not really attacking the rim with the same amount of vigor and struggling to dribble and all those things. But I think it was clear after that NCAA tournament game that he did, like – he did really care. I mean, I, I, you can say a lot of, about how things were handled and whatever else, and, and we could discuss that forever, but I don't think there's any doubt that he at least did really care. Well, that, I don't think that means he comes back. I would have be floored if he came back. But I think that it is worth, like, it is worth, if not commending him, at least pointing out that, like, it wasn't like he was just doing this for himself. And in a whole season that seemed, like, dominated or at least – like, it was easy to pin him as sort of this, like, selfish guy who was taking away attention from his teammates and whatever else. All of which, you know, is true in its own way. I, You can't argue that he didn't at least want them to really win. And he was, I think he was doing the best he could in the way he knew how, which is the problem. Is He only knew one way to play, which was to be this volume scorer, but he wasn't physically able to really be that. I agree. You know, someone had texted me the other day and said, did you think that, so did, was it worth Mike to come back? And I said, well, first, like, I don't really think he had a choice. I don't even think Conzo had a choice right. because when Colin Van Leer went out, that was it. I mean, yeah, he had, they, to, he had to play. He would have looked so bad if he didn't try to play. Only he was healthy. Yes, and that's what I kind of said was that I don't really think anybody had a choice in this, and because the depth became what it was, you know, I, I think it's a different conversation if Blake Harris is still there and the Barnett suspension never happened. Even though he had played before that, I, I think it, it only put a bigger emphasis on what if he didn't come back. And my two biggest things going forward are because this was never done before, you know, in college basketball where a player of this magnitude came back this late in the season, I kind of wonder the next time this situation is in a program's hands. And again, you know, if this was Duke and they have so many players, it's a different conversation. If it was Michigan State, Kentucky, again, these are different conversations. But I'd love to see the next time a player comes back or has the option to come back this late in the season with a team that's playing well, does the co- you know is there a coach that you see say you know we don't want, yeah it didn't yeah. work for Missouri 
we we have our chemistry thing right now. We'd rather win one game in the tournament and then get knocked out than risk blowing things up, you know, pressing the reset button going into the postseason just as uh, to add this player that we don't know what he's going to do to chemistry. And the other thing with Mike is, as you kind of said, you know, I don't know if he comes back. I would doubt he does. But to me, I think that if he does really care about Missouri and about the basketball program, I don't think it would hurt him to come back just because in his career, they lost both postseason games he played in. If you want to count the Kansas exhibition game just because they lost that too and it was – I thought they looked better in the Kansas game, even though they lost that. Yeah, and, they were better and like, in transition was, and stuff. Yes. And Cassius was the spot-up guy. Yeah, yeah. even though that was before Cassius and Barnett became who they were this season, I thought they looked, with him on the floor, their best in the Kansas game, and they still lost. So my only, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if Conzo would said to him, you need to, you need to go and, and get your money. But I think the, the argument for him coming back is that He'll be remembered with this weird legacy for never really playing and yet having all this impact. And yet when he did play, they lost the biggest games of the season. And and I'm even counting Kansas just because to the diehard fans that hate Kansas, like that, that might hold more weight than games. others. Yeah. And it's a weaker draft next year. And if he's at 100% health and he's back to being Him and Jonathan right? could both yeah. be top five picks. Yeah. So I would say that, again, I have no idea if he comes back, but – Purely from the standpoint of him coming back, the benefit is they won't have as many scorers as Cassius or Barnett. He'll, him and Jonte will already have to take a bigger offensive load, so that would kind of work more for next year's yeah. team than this year's team. Weak draft class. and Yeah, weak draft class. They can still get paid and everything. Mike has said there's no chance of re-injury with his back. So, yeah, that shouldn't be a factor. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I wonder what teams and agents would say to him. You know, yeah, you... Maybe you go number 10 now, and obviously, if you, you know, there's a big difference between 1 and 10, and if you're Mike, do you want to go number 10, and, and maybe it's a less tanking team, yeah. you know, than like, you know, like the Kings or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Or do you want to just see what another year can do, and then you have this chance that they build a statue of you or yeah. something, and... And who knows what happens yeah. from there. They, they should have more depth at point guard. They should have more capable ball handlers. And they'll, he'll have help on the wing anyway with Torrance Watson and whatnot coming yeah. in. So I don't know. I, I Again, I have no idea what happens. If, I, if you ask me to bet money, I don't think he comes back. Yeah. But I do think that there is a if he really cares about Missouri basketball argument for him coming back. Yeah. It's true. And I think also, uh, like, he really is going to have to assess the situation. I mean – the thing is, he's gonna get the biggest thing is he's gonna get drafted. He's gonna have a guaranteed contract for two years at least, whatever. And assuming he's not a total bust, like he's a year closer to than that next contract is when you actually make real money. Yes. So I mean, and that's that also is hard to just turn away, even if there's no chance of re-injury there. I mean, he now has been kind of uh, he probably at least for the first time in his life he said was really sitting out. And now he knows what that feels like, and does he want to? Is that going to linger in his head of, like, I can't possibly go through that again without being paid, you know? Um, which I, it'd be hard to fault him if he felt that way. But um, we can go more into the future of this this team in a second. But I, I wanted, like, because it was a wild year. So I think there's some other things just beyond that we should touch on. I guess, like, when did you, when did you feel like they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament? Because I think, like, I mean, when they lost to Mississippi State, 
I was like, eh, I don't think so. I mean, even when they, they, um, I forget who else they lost to. But there was it was someone... at A&M, Mississippi State, and who would have been the last one in that three-way stretch? There was one at home before that. Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, I mean, all those games, I just felt that it wasn't even just that they had lost three in a row. I was like, they just didn't look like a good team, you know? Um, and so I, I, the ugliest of those to me was probably the Mississippi State one, but I mean, it was also just because the arena was like dead. And, and yeah, it's not like it's a yeah. tough place to play on the road. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that three game losing streak probably made me wonder if they could make it just because, as you said, Mississippi State's not a hard place to play on the road. Auburn was good, but if they came into that game missing a guy or two, I want to say. Yeah. And it was a home game, pretty good crowd. And then that third one was A&M. Um, that was a game, I thought the A&M game probably showed the most signs just because it was a game kind of like we'd seen earlier in the year where they go down big, they rally and either take the lead or, or make it a game. And then they just lay down like dogs, and it's a comfortable win. Yeah. And I think we saw that in Auburn. We saw that. I think really all three of those games had that happen. So I, I thought that for a while that was just going to be them as a team. They're going to give you a good effort. They're going to play hard. And then they they're going to make it interesting, yeah. but they're going to run out of steam or firepower or whatever. So I definitely think that three-game streak was alarming. But when they rebounded with the road win at Alabama, I kind of thought like, all right, like, Alabama was better, you know. I was higher on Alabama at the time than maybe others were, even though they were losing, just because I really like Colin Sexton's game. But rightfully so, it turned out in the end. I mean, yeah, Alabama ended up making the tournament and getting a, a nine seed and, and winning a game. Yeah, and when they had that five game win streak, it was like Alabama and then the Kentucky game. Yeah, that kind of quickly changed my mind over from yeah. like, all right, they're losing to yeah. they're going to make the tournament because those are just two huge RPI wins and quadrant yeah. wins to where I thought, all right, like, like really they'll fun. find a way now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, who who do you like? Uh, you were most impressed with during the season because there's a few guys who I think obviously like this team really after Porter went out had to be full of surprises and yeah. be as successful as it was. I mean, I think and you can make an argument in different ways for each guy, right? Like Cassius was remarkably successful as a grad transfer and did more than people thought, but Jonte Porter did more than people thought, and Jeremiah Tillman did more than people thought. Yeah, my first answer is actually going to be Jordan Geist. Because, again, I think I think he got a hard deal from the fans just because he had the ball in a lot of late-game scenarios, and that wasn't always his fault. But beginning of the season, Jordan Geis is a guy that you were kind of even wondering, is he here next year? Yeah. And Blake Harris was always the point guard we talked about of for Missouri to be what it needs to. He's the guy that has to step up his game. He starts half the season, the half of the first half of the season – and then transfers after bragging rights, and you're like, all right, well, <laughs> well, yeah, God, there God, goes God. that. Terrence Phillips, I always thought, was a guy that you thought could like lead the conference and assist because he, he had such a similar setup to high school to where he played around all this talent. He barely played, and he really didn't do much at all. And then he gets kicked off the team, essentially. Yeah. So Jordan Geist was like third or fourth in the batting order. I mean, Conzo made cash as a point guard for the season opener. Over him. So he right. was like really fourth on the depth chart. And then he ended up playing what? Like 33 minutes a game? Yeah. Or so I, you know, he was put in a position where he was doing more than he's capable of and more than he like, was ever supposed to. I remember Kim Anderson saying last year that he was recruited as like an energy guy off the bench. 
And he had to be more than that this year. So I think if he play like he was good or to solid, if he plays bad, the season might have been different. And because after him, the only other point guard was really Brett Rao. Uh, so I, I put him number one in my pecking order just because, again, he had to do more than, than was expected of him. I think Cassius and Barnett, they're not here without them for sure. Cassius was way more consistent than Barnett and became like their unequivocal leader and had this hard work ethic and really some of like the fan base kind of fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I have John Low in the pecking order, even though he reclassified. I mean, he Marvin probably, Bagley. Yeah. He's probably going to be a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, Marvin Bagley so. reclassified. You know, I, I saw somewhere, if you look at the history of guys that have reclassified and skipped a year, they've all done really well. Like, mm-hmm. if I looked at that statistic earlier in the year, like, I probably would have, like, been a lot less surprised by Jonte, but, like... Didn't Techie reclassify? Techie did yeah, reclassify. Yeah. He's probably, he's <laughs> he's probably like the, an exception, the, yeah. yeah. But, um... But, yeah, I just think that, you know, Jonte's last name is Porter. Yeah. If you saw him at Tolton and you saw him at Nathan Hale, you knew he was a good player. I think it was just a matter of him catching up with the pace of the game and the physicality and everything. But, yeah, that's why I have him so low. Yeah, that's true. And I think I would, I would probably make Cash the one. Because yeah. I think, like, you're right. I mean, Jonte was probably going probably to have a chance to be McDonald's All-American in State High School, especially mm-hmm. if at Tolton would average, like, 40 and 20. Yeah. Um, and that probably is conservative as an estimate, but, um, I think, yeah, and he was, and, you know, for as good as he was for, towards the end of the season, then he laid down another dud in the NCAA tournament, which I think shows he still has kind of the inconsistency. And Tillman's the same way. I mean, it's not like people didn't think that he had the physical ability to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, and he still had the same sort of foul trouble at the end of the season. So I think Cash, for me, would be the big one, just because of how he consistently produced at a level that normally guys when they transfer up are far lesser players, mm-hmm. but I mean it's like the I think it was like the first time ever he earned Player of the Week it was like in his he was career. back to back. He never yeah. he never even did it at Canisius. Yeah, you know? like and that's wild. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's I think the whole thing in a way. You know, I mean, I don't think it can be stated enough. Like what a coaching job it was that they got to this point. Absolutely. I mean, like, you just think about the fact we're talking about like, he was like the surprise of the year and he was the main storyline. I mean, he's he catch is a nice guy and he did play really well and worked really hard, but like the fact that this team got to where it did with that being the case with this surprise grad transfer from Canisius leading the way kind of speaks to how dark it could have gone. Yeah. The analogy I used to a, a fan in an email recently was that I thought at the beginning of the season, Conzo had a really good hand of cards at a card table, and he loses his best one early on, and he kept losing cards, you know, with the transfers and everything, and he just kept finding a way to stay at the table and and play what he had well, and then with the Barnett news, and he got Mike back, which that, you know, like that card didn't count for as much as it used to because of the dealer's hand. (laughs) Um, it was a really elaborate thing. It yeah. worked better over email yeah, than over the podcast. To, but, to retype these. The yeah. Studio a few times. But yeah. just with <laughs> with losing Barnett and having a non-100% Michael Porter in an NCAA tournament game, you knew that a lot would have had to happen for them to, to advance. Yeah. And, and even yesterday, you know, do they give Xavier the game Florida State did with Barnett back? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So I just think that. Be honest, I slept through that game. 
Yeah. I've been I've been on the road a while. I just fell asleep. <laughs> but but I but I did read about it. No, I don't I don't think they would have beat Xavier. I mean, yeah. Because we watched Xavier up close before Mizzou played nice. Yeah. I couldn't imagine Mizzou. I think there would have been a lot of open transition three pointers in that game if Mizzou had played Xavier. No, I agree. I, I think Collins did a heck of a job with um with this team. Something I looked up yesterday that I thought was interesting. Conzo never had a 20-win season during his first year at a coaching job, and he's never had a non-20-win season his second year at a program. So that's why I'm really curious for what happens what next season, yeah. because we kind of hinted at this earlier, really what the Porters do... It's going to dictate a lot of it. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about that then, I guess, because we kind of, we've hashed the season out. So, like, if they... Let's run through all three scenarios. Both come back. They're a top ten top preseason team. Right? team. Yeah. I think Mike and Jonte could be preseason All Americans. Mike's definitely the preseason SEC Player yeah. of the Year. And assuming both are healthy and there's no it lingering issues. Yeah, I. We could be covering a Final Four yeah. next year or something. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and they would still have one scholarship left. And I, I'm curious too from you. I think. Not not like a kid is going to sign just to play with Mike Porter, although Blake Harris did. But um, but for the most part, they're not going to sign just to play with Michael Porter for one year. But do you think that would – let's say they make this announcement in two weeks. I mean, does that add some momentum to the getting Courtney Ramey or getting somebody else? I agree, and that's why I kind of wonder, you know, a little off track, but the last time Missouri had a player transfer from its program was the year – was not had a player transfer from its program, was the year Damari Carroll was into the, the Elite Eights. So like, that's 2009, oh So, like, <laughs> you look at the roster right now, though, and because, again, like, it's it's still all up in the air. Like, Colin Van Leer, I don't think they can let him go with a yeah, torn ACL right. and being an in-state kid. I think the question for him next year is do they do they redshirt him right. or do they just have him finish out his career and that's another scholarship off the books from the Kim era. You know, per year staying, Geist, I th- Conzo loves Geist. I think He's Conzo really wants able, to keep yeah. Geist. Reed Nico be a junior. would be a junior. You know, Mitchell Smith is coming back from the ACL in the red shirt. I think both of those guys right now you have to keep in the fold because you don't know what's going to happen right. with Jonte. You and you might size. need the body. Yeah. And Adam Wolf's a walk-on. Ronnie Suggs is a walk-on that they'll have from sitting out. But really, if you look at the team, there's really not – Many guys transfer that you, yeah, yeah transfer can and I mean I thought Terrence Phillips would have been one but he got himself kicked off so yeah. like that was one C J Roberts left he was another Kim guy technically so it's it's interesting because I don't know who would leave unless Mike and Jonte come back and they say okay Mike and Jonte are coming back all of a sudden we have these recruits that want to come here yeah. look at it. Now we need to make room, and that's why yeah. it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Because if both come back, you know what's you know who's out there. The coaching carousel's still going. The FBI stuff, you know, right, right. is still up in the air. So I think it's going to be an interesting couple weeks in that sense. Because if, if both do come back, and your cons are like, all right, I got to the tournament, you know, through like a bubble gum and paperclip job, <laughs> and then some yeah. this year. You know, now we can really set ourselves up, and, and a lot of these guys had another year, so. I just think right now with them both coming back, the sky's the limit. But if they both decide to come back, you know, what does the scholarship situation look like? And are, do they try to edge, you know, a grad transfer point guard over a Courtney Ramey and then say 2019, like we'll get a Mario McKinney. Yeah. yeah. So 
I wonder just how that kind of all comes together if it does. Yeah. Be really interesting. I think that's not gonna happen. I just, I mean, I would be shocked. Yeah, no, that's so, okay. Yeah, we yeah. discussed that first because that's yeah. the least likely scenario. <laughs> uh, okay, but so then if uh, if Jante just comes back, which I think is possible, because I think based on even someone we talked to, it's like, yeah, he might, he has the talent to be a first round pick, but maybe he's not going to be like, because it's not just about whether he is capable. It's like, does someone believe in him enough, or does? Is the market there for him to be one? And I guess the, I'm sure the Porters will try to get a sense of that mm-hmm. in the coming weeks. But I could see him come back, and because honestly, I mean, I would if I was an NBA team, I'd take him in the late first round and just let him go dominate the G League for two years and develop. But um, but if he does come back, I think they're still probably a tournament team, and I he's agree. the star of the team, and the offense probably runs through him. Because why would you not just have him play in the high post and like pass and move the ball all over the court and hit threes. I think he could be a green room invite if he comes back next year. I mean, his game is so similar to Draymond Green's where he's just a stat sheet stuffer. And I think running the offense through him, he'll be able to do all that. And he can shoot threes. He's built for today's NBA. And even if you were to declare, I still think someone would take him like you said just because he fits everything you want out right. of somebody. I mean, he would get drafted, like, no doubt. I mean, yeah. it's just a matter of does he want to get drafted higher. But, again, I, the biggest thing is does he think he's going to be a first-round pick? So your first-round pick, you get guaranteed money. And then you're, again, same as Mike, you're, you're closer to, that big to the money. second contract. Yeah. This is all that matters. But it's just a matter of if he can get guaranteed money right away. Yes, I agree. And the other thing is I remember talking to – I forget if this was the same conversation we had with an NBA scout or a different one I had. But someone said, you know – if you're Jonte and you could go like in the late first round and you go to a Warriors or a Spurs, you know, a place where they're going to develop you and you don't have the pressure of playing right away. Yes, yeah. and you kind of fit, you know, he'd fit in great on the Warriors yeah. or, or the Spurs. Just one of those later teams that are, are more built to win now. Would you really turn that down? Because you're guaranteed you have no pressure on you whatsoever. Right. And you just develop and learn. And, yeah, yeah. And you're going to get really good coaching. So I do, again, I, I think there's a strong argument for him to go. I do think, though, that if he were to come back next year, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like SEC preseason player of the year. Yeah. I do think that they could find a way into the tournament. And yeah, he, I think this year was big for him because it was. Even though his brother was like his brother's shadow was lingering, he played he without still, his brother, yeah. and he showed exactly what he could do. I think he'd be the only Porter in college basketball next year, aside from Sierra. <laughs> but he'd be—he wouldn't just be. Oh yeah, he reclassified the play with his brother. That'd be like he came back to yeah, win, right? And he'd be like fully his own person, everything yeah. in everyone's eyes. Yeah, it is interesting. But then that's another thing to think about: is like not that he thinks him and Mike are going to play on the same team, but. If he cared enough that he wanted to play with his brother and he reclassified, like, is he also going to care enough that he wants to, like, be in the NBA with his brother and, like, be in this next phase of his life with his brother? You yeah. know, like... But does one year make a difference in right. that, That's in true, that yeah. sense, too? And, it, and this is not something that should factor in decision or maybe won't, but, like, I can't... I can't imagine him, like, being in a locker room with, like, grown men. Like, just, like, just like you talk to him and, like, he's a really nice guy. Like, he's really intelligent. I wrote this whole story about, like, kind of he's smart and all these different interests and whatever, but, like... 
he just still seems like a kid. Like, yeah, like he I can't really, really seems like a kid. Like, I couldn't imagine him playing like in the NBA, like and like getting yelled at by some guy who's been in the league for ten years, and like going up against you know, like I don't even know who who I would who, like would be most like. Imagine him having to play against like Demarcus Cousins. <laughs> like, it just it just doesn't seem like it would like it doesn't seem possible. Or, like it should happen, but you know, I, I could if he leaves, I would understand Fila. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you say that because. I think Mike has more of like the pro Hollywood look than Jonte. You know, yeah. Mike's got his ears pierced. He's always posting on Instagram right. about him and, you know, new haircut and everything. And that's not Jonte at all. Right. And I can't even imagine, you know, like, again, the Porters are both good kids. But, you know, like you think of the NBA nightlife or whatever. Like, yeah. I can see Mike in that just because he kind of fits some of that. Yeah, he's had the celebrity. He's used to the yeah. celebrity. Yeah, Jonte, it's just like, what? Yeah. You know, so. I was looking at his Instagram recently and, like. He posted like a picture, just like him with like a fishing rod and like some little trout, and he's like, "Look at the fish I caught!" Like it's like a, this is like six months ago. Like this yeah. wasn't like this was like it's, years ago. Like he just he's like he's like a child, you know? And like, and he should be. He's eighteen he's years a, old. Exactly, like, he's eighteen. So yeah. I would put what would you? Which put? is another reason I think he would get picked high, or he would get picked, is because he's, he's already so done young. a lot yeah. for his yeah, his, like, his young age already. Yeah. yeah so. I don't know, what would you handicap the percentage of Jonte coming back at? You know, I'm kind of 45-55. That he leaves? That, that yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say just because this whole thing has been bizarre. It's not like, you know, with Zach Collins and the Trailblazers where, you know, he really caught fire in the NCAA tournament and, and right. he, he became a lottery pick. He's a guy I could see if you put him at, like, the NBA draft combine, you put him in five-on-five five and, and whatnot – Maybe he could help his draft stock, but it's not like he's an unbelievable athlete like Mike. And he's also he, inconsistent. He could tank in those the combine or whatever. And yeah, he. Uh, I mean, how many times did he like dunk this year despite right. being like seven uh, yeah. feet, like five maybe? Yeah. So. And never really authoritatively. It's kind of like a. Yeah, he had the one putback dunk yeah. that I remember. Like, whoa! I didn't yeah, know Jonte yeah, yeah. could do that. But yeah, that's the thing is that I just kind of look at it and be like, he has, he could he still again he'll probably get taken this year. It's a matter of where, not if. But he has a lot he can improve on. If yeah, can. but I think the, the pros to coming back outweigh the cons. Yeah. I would put it at 55% he comes back, I guess. Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at. Just because I think maybe the, 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 the fact that he probably wouldn't be able to feel firmly that he would go in the first round would push him back. But I really have no idea. Yeah, so that – if it's 55% that way, so I guess we'll go to the – that's still more than half. So I guess yeah. now the, the most likely with yeah, quotation yeah. mark situation yeah. is both porters are gone. Yeah. And this is a team that really we don't know a lot about. I mean you look at the – I remember thinking of like the yearbook picture of like all the players on it, like going through X's in my head if it was <laughs> yeah. not going to be back. You'd have from that from – from a year ago in November – that team would be without Blake Harris, Terrence Phillips, both Porters, C.J. Roberts, Cashes, Barnett, and Brett Rouse. Yeah. So that's eight guys yeah. that would have been gone within a year. And I look at that as a rebuilding team. I think it'd be an, a more unbelievable job per se if, if they, if they were to make the tournament. tournament. Yeah. I mean, I think the NIT would be an achievement. And we expect Missouri to land Courtney Ramey, the 2018 Webster Groves point guard. Conzo. Double dipped the other day, right after the NCAA tournament loss, and watched EJ Liddell, the top 2019 target who I profiled a couple months ago, and Ramey in one day. 
charter jet from Peoria to Springfield. Springfield wow. Pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Long day. Um, he's, he's probably in the same boat, yeah. him and Chris Hollander, yeah. of, of lack of sleep with you. Yeah. But I think if they were to land Ramey, okay, well, you would bring in Xavier Pinson, and Ramey, and you have guys coming back. I think that's enough at point guard. Yeah. And you have Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett. Obviously, Torrance Watson was a huge scorer. Javon Pickett would have been a year removed pretty much from playing competitive basketball because he had a shoulder injury. So he's kind of like a wild card of what can he bring immediately. What does he look like? Summer workout's going to be big for him. And then you add K.J. Santos, who also was a year removed from playing organized basketball. He redshirted at junior college this year to – He'll be a redshirt sophomore. Left three years to play in Missouri. The staff is really high on him. They think he could be an NBA guy when it's all said and done. And then you bring back Jeremiah Tillman. You bring back Kevin Perrier. The bench is going to be interesting because all the guys we just said are probably going to have to play immediately in yeah. some capacity. And that makes you wonder, all right, if Mike and Jonte both leave, they'll have scholarships to play with of, of adding more guys. There'll be a grad else. transfer of some yeah. sort. And we'll see who else comes on the open market. But... That's a team that I think in – all right, next year they might be bad, but, but next really year they could year. be really good. Yeah. And after that, I don't really it's know. It's hard to project. Yeah, I agree. Um, huge – it's basically, in, in short, huge for them if either Porter comes back. Bonanza, if one of them comes back, or both of them come back. And without them, it's probably like still a competitive team, but not a great team. Yeah. What do you think of the coaching staff for next year? Do you think we still see all three assistant coaches – I don't know. I think that the fact that they did such a good job kind of reorganizing the offense so quickly is a, is a boost for Cornell Mann and Chris Hollander. Um, but, you know, Hollander, very nice guy, and he's done a really good job, it seems like. But I don't know if his resume would be – it would be easy to sell as a D1 head coaching resume yet. Yeah. Like he was like a year ago, he was at UMKC, you know what I mean? Like exactly. Guess- the, the Evansville job, which is his alma mater, is open right now. And I've been doing a little bit of homework on it. It seems like Hollander is a choice that fans really want yeah. as a potential option. But it's not something you've heard leaked from the administration or anything that he's on their radar. Yeah. I um, With him, you know, I, I think it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, I, I think Chris is – a lot funnier than, than people might realize. I think he's a guy that if he walks up to the podium, you might not realize, but I think he can win the press conference. Yeah, yeah, And he's very charismatic. But as you said, you know, he's, he's about 40, 41. He started coaching for a, a while ago, and he's been at Army, Evansville, Missouri Mississippi State. State, UMKC, and now Missouri. And I think his stock would be hotter in a year or two because he's in with all those St. Louis kids in 2019. Yeah. I think if he lands them and they do a lot that – Second year with potentially Ramey and then Watson, Santos, yeah. and potentially Liddell McKinney, I think he'd be a really hot commodity on the market Yeah, against his alma mater, and he's coached and played there, so he's a different situation than the other candidate. Right. But I uh, – and again, we're saying this, we have no clue what, what – if he'd want the job yeah. or, or if he's even in the mix, but he's one that I think is kind of tougher to kind of tell if a job came open. Like I think if the Army job came open, he'd have a really good shot yeah. at that. But – He's kind of a tough one to get a finger on as to, all right, I could see him at this job or that job because mm-hmm. he's, he's been a little bit of everywhere in a lot of yeah. different conferences. Cornell, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if he got an offer. Yeah, I could see that because he's had more Power 5 experience and um, 
I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I like, I think his re- like his resume is a little more of a, easy to sell um, right away than Hollanders. I mean, he's been at Iowa State. He's been at like every directional Michigan school of <laughs> Central Michigan, <laughs> Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, etc. And the other thing I think is big on him is that one of those lower schools that would hire him is looking for guys to find like diamonds in the rough. He recruited Cassius. Yeah. He landed Monty Morris to Iowa State. That's clearly his bread and butter to yeah. some degree. And he could sell that. He's a little older, more experienced. And I think the whole thing with him, I even wonder, is especially with the run Michigan's making, he was once a finalist for an assistant coaching spot on Michigan staff. If they were to have a guy leave for Where'd elsewhere, yeah. I think he'd have a really good shot at getting that. Or Michigan State, where his cousin, Dwayne Stevens, is Tom Mizzle's right-hand man, the associate yeah. head coach. And I think either one of those are Michigan State's out, but Michigan's still alive. And if one of those coaches were to get plucked, yeah. I think that would be a big thing for him. And that would set him up to get an even better, better position. Better for one of, yeah. yeah, so he's one that I wouldn't be surprised if he left for like a better assistant coaching job or a lower-tier head coaching job of some sort. But um, but I think it, that's I haven't seen a job pop up yet either that You're I see like, like oh yeah, yeah. For sure yeah and then Michael Porter Senior I think is completely dependent <laughs> on his kids yeah simply put <laughs> I agree I would agree with that um, and and what we write and what we do will also be dependent on his kids in the coming weeks so yes. we'll see uh, anything else you want you want to talk about or are we good uh I guess we could touch on the women a little yeah. bit right um yeah disappointing. The, the Missouri women lost. I don't, I don't remember what the score is now, but they lost to Florida Gulf Coast. Missouri was a five seed, which means Florida Gulf Coast was a twelve seed. Lost in the first round. First team in the Sophie Cunningham era to not even win a tournament game, and this was supposed to be the most talented team they ever had, and it probably was. I mean, I, I don't disagree I agree. with the, the notion that it was the most talented one, but just really, they faced a uh, Florida Gulf Coast team that led the country in three point attempts and. They only attempted 17 threes, but it was like the threat of them shooting the three. They just blew by them every time to the hoop, and they didn't have a single player who was six feet tall. I mean, like, physically, Mizzou should have won, but uh, their post players got unfoutable, and then they kind of lost the advantage they had, and then they were playing at a disadvantage to a team that is really good shooting from three and just was able to kind of maneuver around them. So, uh, yeah, it's, like, I wonder... You don't want to say it's too early to say this, but I guess like I mean like did they blow their shot with Sophie Cunningham? Like she's the best player they've ever gotten. Like, and I mean like what is to say that they're going to have a, a deep run next year? This was the this was the year. You know, it seemed like at least I agree. I was thinking about that earlier today. I feel like this is a bigger disappointment than the men's team yeah. because it totally is. The yeah. Men, yeah, the men had no depth. They had a their best player wasn't fully healthy. And then you look at the women. They had probably the best starting five under Robin Pinchton. Right. One of them was going to be the best player on the court no matter what round they got into unless they like met UConn yeah. or something. And they had extra – you know, Sierra Porter's knee, it's been known for a while. It's kind of going downhill. Right. Robin's common phrase is only so many miles left on it. They lose Jordan Frerichs, which is a huge loss. Oh, CC. Yeah. Kayla Michael, formerly McDowell, graduated. She was always – I thought she was going to be even better than Jordan her freshman mm-hmm. year, but she just had all those injuries, and, and it seemed like can only do so much down yeah. the down the line. But it's a team that brings back everybody but Jordan really next year, and I guess Hannah Schutz is the one that kind of maybe filled the the void Jordan's yeah. leaving. But I, I just think it's a match. She's played pretty sparingly. Yes, and she, she hasn't, hasn't really, shown a ton yeah. of size. She can shoot a three better than Jordan. Yeah, uh, Jordan barely took any threes, but 
I don't really, you know, I, I'm kind of on your line of thinking of... Like, did they blow their shot? Yeah, is yeah. how, you know, Robin Pinchon was being talked about as, you know, Missouri's got to give her contract extension yeah. at the end of the year, and look at all she's done for the program, and, and it, it has come a very long way under yeah. her, in, in her eight years or whatever it is. You've got to give her that, but you just think about how will it be remembered if they only get to, like, the first round again next year, maybe, like, the round of 32, yeah. and it's like, you had the best player in program history, she, I think... The but loss. not just her, to be fair. I mean, like, Sierra was pretty good in high school, too. Jordan was 1,000 points, 1,000 rebounds. like, they had, like, a lot of talent, and, like, a lot of it was really just local. Like, and it just bust. Like, yeah, I mean, and, like, and Robin is strong. The one thing that she's been bad with as a coach is she hasn't been able to get, like, the elite St. Louis prospects. Yeah. Like, I was telling someone earlier this year, like, Nafisha Collier of UConn, she's lost Alicia Sutton of Texas, and... Now the next big one is um, Asia Blackwell, who's at Whitfield School, same as Torrance Watson. And I heard Louisville's really in strong for her. If Robin were to get like one of those players every few years, I think she could sustain her model of success where you get an one alpha dog, player. you build around her, and can make an NCAA run. But really, you look at the way this season has gone. They were on the outside of the top ten looking in the whole year. And they had three all-conference caliber players in Sierra, Jordan, and, and Sophie. It's a really, really sad ending for what, you know, we thought there was a chance that they could maybe make the Elite Eight. Yeah. And definitely the Sweet 16. That was the, the, the bar Sweet was the Sweet was 16. The That's what Sophie said, even. Yeah. yeah and, so. and next year, all right, they bring back Lauren Aldrich, who we've told, we've been told can score, but we didn't yeah. really see a ton yeah. of it. Sophie... Sierra, whose knee is really the biggest question with that. Amber Smith, who was really good, really yeah. good but inconsistent down the line, yeah. and all these, re- you know, all these reserves that really didn't play much last yeah. year because this year because of the depth they it had was in supposed the front. To be a loaded team, yeah. Yeah, so I, I have no idea. You know, there is no real. Um, I was looking it up. Robin hasn't really been wanting to take a transfer, yeah. or a grad transfer or anything in in her time here. She's not really one that has any players transfer. I don't know who she gets or... or well, they, have she, that, they have one recruit from Iowa who's like a top 40 recruit. Yeah, and she's player. not a post player though yeah, either. So it's, wing, so it's someone on the current roster really has to That's step so. up and, yeah. and whatnot. So I don't know. I don't know what, what happens and, and how they look next year. But it, it'd be a disappointing ending to the Sophie era. Yeah, well, I was disappointed because I didn't get to stay more time in California. I felt but. the same way driving home from Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well. Anyway, um, season's over, I guess. So we'll uh, we'll keep doing stuff though. Um, lots to watch in the lots, next few weeks. Lots to watch in the next few weeks for sure with the Porters and uh, Mizzou football pro day coming up and whatnot. So um, if you don't already, please like our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com backslash Mizzou Zone KC Star. Um, and then we also have an app called Mizzou Zone, and that's where you can get all the stars uh, Mizzou uh, coverage. But anyway, this is Aaron Reese. Uh, Alex Schiffer. He's Alex Schiffer. Uh, he's the louder person. Uh, and we're, uh, uh, we're signing off. Uh, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.